Oh, my sainted trousers. It's the Doctor Who podcast. Episode 3 of the Trout and Retrospective, episode 3 of our look at the great man, and we're going to be looking at Series 6, and well, Series 6 has just started filming of uh, Matt Smith as the Doctor, so there's some nice synergy there going. So we'll be covering the rest of the Trout and Era, Series 6, as well as the other things he did, like the Three Doctors, Five Doctors, Two Doctors, Sixty Doctors, I don't know. Whatever Trouton did for Doctor Who, we'll be covering in the rest of this episode, and conclude our look at the great man, Patrick Trouton. Well, welcome back, dear listener, to our continuing look at Patrick Troughton, the second Doctor, the man who cemented Doctor Who in the minds and hearts of Doctor Who fans all over the world. And Tom, it's my great pleasure to have you back here again today to talk about Mr. Troughton. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. It feels like it's been quite a long haul, but I've got to say thank you so much to all of the people who have left us positive feedback in the forums about the first two parts oh, of the retrospective. yes, yes. Well, I mean, if, if anyone's not part of our Twitter feed, they should join up because uh, I've never experienced such an, a massive outpouring of thanks <laughs> via our Twitter feed for what we've been doing with Mr. Troughton. I'll try that again. It, it seems to have ignited such a primal love of this man who uh, played the second Doctor, everyone loving mm. how much we're sort of geeking out over the second Doctor, and, and we thank you very much for it. Definitely. I mean, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be totally upfront and say my whole, my whole focus with this is to try and make um, what I consider to be one of the greatest Doctors as accessible to people who have maybe not experienced it as the new series is, because Troughton, as I say, Troughton was the first new Doctor ever. And there's some, well, as we'll see when we get into talking about season six, that there's some great invention and some wonderful performances to be had in his era. So if we can encourage people to go back and just try a little bit of it, then that's that's my entire purpose here. Um, I think it's also worth noting that when it was time for David Tennant to hand over to Matt Smith, the story goes that he made a gift of the Tomb of the Cybermen to Matt Smith on DVD, uh, which helped to ignite his interest and love for the show uh, and informed in some time, in, in some very little way uh, the way he plays the, do- the 11th Doctor. So it's interesting. You know, t- the Troughton Doctor is, su- is, a, is a tremendously influential character. And if we can get people to go back and listen to it or watch it, brilliant. That's the way forward. Well, definitely. I mean, I'm sure based on the feedback we've received already that there's lots of people... Uh, blowing the dust off their uh, Troughton DVDs and reconstructions and audios and books and whatever. And uh, I hope we, we just can continue that in this episode. Now, what we're going to be covering in this particular episode, our, our last look at Patrick Troughton for, for the time being, we're going to be covering Series 6, his last um, season as the Doctor, as a regular Doctor. And we're going to be covering his future appearances as the Doctor in the Three Doctors, Five Doctors and Two Doctors. And we're also going to be having just maybe a little bit of a chat about the way the second Doctor's been treated in the Big Finish audio range. And um, I'll be also doing a little bit of an insert and reviewing a few of the books that have been based around the second Doctor era uh, that were created in the uh, 90s after the uh, series wasn't on anymore and books were pretty much the only way you could enjoy Doctor Who. So 
I've had a bit of a read of a few of these fantastic Troughton books recently, and I'll and I'll be sharing my thoughts about them. So, Tom, let's get into it, mate. I'm dying to talk about it. <laughs> On we go. Well, so season six, what can we say? Um, we've been talking about the number of firsts that. Uh, occur in the in the Patrick Troughton era. Um, and season six is really a season which is all about lasts. Um, we've got here the last season of Doctor Who to be transmitted in black and white. We've got the last season of the first new Doctor. Um, and we know, knowing, knowing now and having the benefit of hindsight, we can see quite how important season six was uh, to the continued, uh, continued success of Doctor Who. When we think about the ideas that were introduced in season six, things like unit, uh, things like the idea of the Doctor working on Earth, uh, and the introduction, of course, at the end of the war games, so much of what we now consider to be part of the base structure and the base DNA of Doctor Who occurs in season six. Now, before we start talking about the season opener, The Dominators, in the last couple of weeks, we've mentioned a lot about missing stories. And I just want to clear up, clear up what, exactly what we mean by that. Now, right now, at, at this point of the 21st century, we're very, very used to all of our output being recorded and being kept and being monitored. But we have to remember that in the mid-60s and late-60s, television was an, was an emerging art form that, had, that was pretty low down on the scale. Actors never thought that television was terribly important. They put it way behind theatre. And that attitude still exists with some actors even, to, even to, until today. But with Patrick Troughton and with Doctor Who, we have the emergence of the idea that television was a valid art form in its own right. But one of the side effects of the, regard, the way that television was regarded is that tape the recording media was regarded as being a very, very valuable and special thing. And so if tape could be reused, then it was reused. And the practical upshot of that for Doctor Who fans is that stories that were recorded um, and transmitted, once they were transmitted and once the BBC thought, well, we can't make any more money out of this, was simply recorded over, which is where the idea of these missing stories comes from. It's not that they never, of course they existed, they didn't go out live, they were recorded. But in an effort to reuse, to reuse the tape and media, the stories were recorded over or just thrown away as worthless. Now, we know now, in, in 2010, how odd that, an attitude that is. But back in the day, things were very, very different. So the search at this point in time goes on for stories that were recorded, uh, copied and sent out to different BBC franchises or different television stations around the world. I mean, as Trev mentioned last week, the Tomb of the Cybermen was found in Hong Kong in 1992. So the hope that we might still find missing stories and missing episodes, like perhaps Tenth Planet Episode 4, like perhaps the missing episodes of the Ice Warriors, is still really there. Perhaps the, perhaps the Web of Fear will turn up one day as well. Now, Series 6, or Season 6 in the old language, James and Luke from the My Neat Doctor podcast did a fantastic review of the DVD last week of The Dominators, and, and we thank them very much for that. One thing that I take away from The Dominators is the performance of Patrick Troughton. Now, I'm not a real fan of the actual story itself. It's Like they said last week, it's a bit of a runaround. Fantastic use of location work in this story. One thing that really works for me is the performance of Patrick Troughton. There's just so much in it that you look at and go, well, that is the second Doctor. Patrick Troughton knew he was leaving at the end of this season, so what we've got effectively is a celebration of all that's come before. He's building from strength. The Dominators is absolutely all about the character of the second Doctor. 
Um, it raises wonderful questions like, can the Doctor actually steer the TARDIS? There's lots of references all the way through the Second Doctor's era that says he really can't. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the relationship between the two lead actors, Fraser Hines and Patrick Troughton, was absolutely cemented. And interestingly, um, there are production notes which say that there was a little bit too much improvisation going on between um, from the two lead actors. Um, so in The Dominations, what you've got is you've got the script being used as a guide as opposed to an absolute artefact, an absolute script. But that's good because the actors are very comfortable with each other and they seem to be able to pull and push the script just within the boundaries of reason. The Dominators, on the face of it, is a story about two uh, members of a space fleet landing on on a planet and being very, very dominating over it, treating the planet as if it is just their, uh, just a resource that they can uh, use for fuel, in fact. Um, now, Trev, you mentioned last week that the search was on for uh, creatures that could be used to supplant the Daleks or succeed the Daleks as uh, a main threat in Doctor Who. And we see definitely that with the use of the quarks in this particular story. Um, the quarks are an interesting monster. They have, where the Daleks are very masculine and the Cybermen are, are very... Uh, are very faceless and forceful. It could be argued that the Quarks are effectively a bunch of giggling secretaries because they have a very interesting voice. Well, very much so. I mean, I mean, what what always amazes me about these examples from the Troughton era of uh, monsters that could supplant the Daleks as the main villain is is they're all just so rubbish. I mean, <laughs> that's harsh. Even as far back as the Mechadoids, I mean, oh, okay, they're really going to supplant the Daleks. They can't even fit through a normal door. Um, you know, we, we, we have the quarks from this story that just these little giggling schoolgirls that are these little subservient robots to the Dominators that, you know, quite willingly walk into perilous situations um, knowing they'll be destroyed because they're just servant robots, basically. I've got to give um, special... Uh, mentioned to one of the lines where the Doctor and Jamie have been captured by the Dominators who are testing them for intelligence. And there's a, I'm not sure if it's improvised or not, but there's a line where the Doctor says, quick, Jamie, act stupid. I'm sure you can do that, can't you? And it just crackles. <laughs> season six stands out because it is so imaginative in the annals of Doctor Who. The, in season five, we had a lot of base under siege stories, but season six breaks that because what we've got is we have the, the, the adventurers away from Earth more, actually new, in new and unusual and more psychedelic situations. And nowhere is that more obvious when we, than when we start thinking about the mind robber. Probably one of the first if you count the Celestial Toymaker as um, mm. one of the first, I suppose, psychedelic stories of Doctor Who. Uh, you yes. know, the mind robber, which by its very title plays tricks on your mind. I mean, you know, we have the Doctor landing in this wonderfully imaginative area which, which is populated with creatures or, or, or characters from mythology or books, basically. This is a tremendously imaginative story because it starts with nothing uh, we have zoe imagining that she's seeing her home planet we have jamie imagining that he's having his home planet and then gradually we have the exploration of this new fictional world by the doctor and his two companions the other evidence of great imagination and creativity in this story is the is the fact that fraser hines was taken ill during the shooting of this story and so but that doesn't mean that jamie actually leaves the main cast jamie is actually represented in this story but he's played by another actor hamish wilson and the way that it's that it's explained away in the story is particularly good although it does raise a couple of concerns about how well the doctor knows his companions because in the first episode the doctor is asked to rearrange jamie's face and he does so but not correctly but again all credit to hamish wilson because he puts in a, a very good performance as jamie mccrimmon before fraser hines returns in episode four it's interesting the next story the invasion which mm. for for me i think is 
most beautiful, perfect example of Trout and Doctor Who. The invasion, for me, is a perfect example of the production team saying, yes, this is where we're going to be going next year when John Pertwee turns up. The invasion points the way for the future of Doctor Who in so many ways. It really does. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, the idea of this Quatermass-like uh, scenario where you have a force based on Earth being assisted by the Doctor to repel invasions, as the title says, invasions of the Earth. We've got the use of familiar surroundings to act to ratchet up the fear factor in the same way as in the Web of Fear, we see Yeti in the underground. Now we have Cybermen walking around uh, the landmarks of London. And it's so much more terrifying for the sake of that. Um, also, we have the second significant appearance of Kevin Stoney as Tobias Fawn, possibly one of the best villains that Doctor Who was ever graced by, or certainly one of the great best guest actors Doctor Who was ever graced by. If you've not seen The Invasion, do search it out on DVD, and I'll say search it out on DVD as opposed to audio for the first time, um, purely because the two missing episodes of this story have been rendered again by Cosgrove Hall in cartoon and animated form, um, but rather than take anything, taking anything away from the story, it really adds to it. It's very imaginative it's it's quite quite astonishing to quite astonishing to witness plus the cast is firing on all cylinders wendy padbury as zoe is is particularly good um the doctor and jamie are again it's a double act it's a it's a wonderful thing to watch um and we have the first appearance of sergeant benton uh, as part of the unit uh, who's going to become sergeant benton as part of the unit family so as trevor rightly says this story features the cybermen so it's got to be good um points the way forward into the future from the past for Doctor Who in so many wonderful ways. I can't recommend it highly enough. I've got to say also, just if you do experience this story, do watch out for Kevin Stoney and the, uh, as Tobias Vaughan and the relationship he has with his henchman, Packer. Packer? <laughs> Packer? It's, it's particularly good. And there are stories of Kevin Stoney being a very gentle actor, but actually reducing his co his co-actor to tears with the force of some of his delivery. I'm, I'm, again, if you watch the if you watch the, this particular story, you'll see exactly where it is because he's cajoling, he's frightening, he's overbearing. He's oh, it's a, it's a wonderful story. Moving swiftly along from the highlight of this season, we move on to the Crotons, which which for me is kind of the nadir of this particular season. Again, it's unfortunate that this story has all its episodes existing and uh, stories like The Invasion and Evil of the Daleks don't, that we get to experience the Crotons in all its, well, in inverted commas, glory. I like the theme of it. The, um, even, I've got to be honest, even Fraser Hines describes the story as depressing. Um, I think at this point the cast was a little bit tired, but the story itself is, is, is probably, the, is probably the, the big thing here. What you've got, the story is probably the, is the most interesting thing about this particular production. What we've got is we've got uh, a set of aliens, essentially benevolent, who sacrifice the best and brightest of their, of their young number to these unseen aliens, the Crotons, who are feeding on their mental energy hoping that one day they'll, they'll reach a level where they can be resuscitated. Um, once the Doctor and Zoe become involved, then enough mental energy has been accrued to actually reactivate the Crotons, and the story really kicks off. It is a bit of a runaround, and as Trev says, it's perhaps a little sad that this story exists where uh, the evil of the Daleks and the power of the Daleks don't. By no means the worst story the Doctor ever told, but by no stretch of the imagination is it the best either. The next story... For, for me personally, is an interesting one, The Seeds of Death. Now, mm. from memory, I think it's one of the first stories that was released on VHS, certainly hot on the heels of Revenge of the Cybermen. The Seeds of Death has the introduction of the Ice Lords, which were a mm. different cast 
of the Ice Warriors. It's interesting. That it seems to be pretty much the same story as the moon base and the enemy of the world, because what we've got is the Ice Warriors trying to take control of the Earth's weather system. One thing we really haven't mentioned so far is one of the other hallmarks of the Troughton era is the foam machine. Now, if, if anyone has an, <laughs> has an even passing interest in watching Troughton in the video format, will notice that they didn't mind using a bit of foam occasionally. And certainly the Seeds of Death is, is a prime example of that when the Ice Warriors are, are changing the Earth's atmosphere. Basically, pretty much the principal cast pretty much drown in a sea of foam. And it's uh, one of the last most glorious ex- uses of the uh, foam machine in uh, early Doctor Who. There were a lot of emerging technologies uh, in these years of TV, and one of them was the ability to, ability to generate foam. <laughs> Um, all right, now the penultimate story in this season is the space pirates. Um, it's an interesting, an, an interesting one around. Essentially, a murder mystery. One of the supporting characters is a guy called Milo Clancy. So he's very, very closely, very, very closely modelled on a gold prospector from the old west. Milo Clancy. Oh, gee, uh, my jiggity boy, this is Milo Clancy, and I'm <laughs> on board my spaceship, boy. And I've got oh. hot coffee on the spaceship. Yeah, man. My view is that it's an interesting character performance, but that could easily, easily, on a bad day, come down to it's dreadful overacting. The Space Pirates is much of a muchness. It's a good murder mystery. It's, a spa- it's very much a space opera. So in scale, the story it's trying to tell is, is huge. It's, it's immense. Um, and... As with the Dominators at the beginning of the season, what you've got is, the, is, is a production team alluding to the size and scale of the story that's being told rather than actually showing it, which is an old TV trick. But it's, it's used to quite, great, to quite great effect in season six. If you think about uh, the Mind Rubber, a huge land that doesn't quite exist. We think about the invasion. The, the entirety of London and the Earth is being invaded, is, is being invaded, is being invaded there. Uh, and then we've got the Space Pirates, which, as I say, is an adventure which takes over a huge expanse of time and... Is, is concerned with the mining rights of very old and powerful families. But it's got to be, it's, it's got to be said, no, no matter how good the Space Pirates is or isn't, it was always going to be totally overshadowed by the massive epic which closes this season and gives birth to modern Doctor Who, arguably gives birth to modern Doctor Who. Um, you know what I'm talking about here. We're talking about the War Games. The War Games, yes. Very, very important story. One of those stories that um, can be subtitled as nine episodes of filler before you reach the good stuff. The War Games is really only known for its last episode because it's the episode where you see the Time Lords reference for the first time. It's the episode where you see the Doctor regenerating or what you see of his regeneration. It's the episode where Jamie and Zoe leave the TARDIS uh, with their minds wiped, never to know pretty much any of their adventures with the Doctor. It's just unfortunate that that... Tenth episode so overshadows the other nine because if you've had a chance to watch the DVD release, which was uh, I think even semi recently released, there's there's some fantastic stuff to watch in those previous nine episodes. Look, definitely, I mean, I've I've got to take issue with it a little bit um, because of the quality and because of the revelations and because of the events in episode ten. It's hard. It's hard not to regard regard episode ten as being a thing on its own and a very important uh, and a very important piece of storytelling. But the previous nine episodes are epic, absolutely epic. Um, so if, you know, if we say that, if, if just to remind you, this this story is ten episodes long, and I've got to be honest, when the DVD was first uh, was was first released, and I sat down and watched it. I watched it from end to end and didn't really wasn't tired by any of it. Because yes, there's lots of escape capture, escape capture, but 
type, but piece by piece, there are little revelations, as well as, the, of course, the, of the performance from Philip Maddock, which is just mesmerising. By the time we get to episode 10, then we are aware that something is very, very wrong. But all the way through that, all the way through the story, it's being seeded. When the Doctor first catches sight of the, of the Warlord... <laughs> There's a, there's a tremendous bit of acting as the as the, as the doctor recognises him and, and it's like oh my god I've got to get, I've got to get away. Obviously the actor's read the script and he knows how things end, but the way that it's gradually revealed to us that the doctor is or reminded to us the doctor is on the run he really does not want to bump into the time lords in any way shape or form. Uh, it's just absolutely magical. It's wonderful. Troughton knew this was his knew, knew this was his last story and he's and he's going out guns blazing it's a it's a tremendous performance and as you as, and as you rightly say at the end of episode 10 when the little doctor spins away into the darkness it's nothing short of heartbreaking it's absolutely gorgeous for those people who thought that um Tennant's last few scenes are tremendously emotional and affecting and they are that's a very good actor acting very very well please if you've not seen it i'd invite you to watch episode to watch episode 10 of the war games if you want to see um the precedent for a great actor acting well and really pulling at your heartstrings, you've got to check out Patrick Troughton's last episode as the Doctor in episode 10 of The War Games. A brilliant performance, great story, highly recommend. Certainly by this point, Patrick Troughton has said, well, it was time for him to leave the show. As, as we said before, he was very worried by typecasting. He didn't want to be known as the Doctor for the rest of his career. He certainly wanted mm. to have a career beyond Doctor Who. And mm. he had convinced, certainly, um, Fraser Hines to stick around for this long because there were certainly plans earlier in the season for Fraser to be written out of the show. Patrick Tratton convinced him to stick around and uh, mm-hmm. certainly we see a very big mass exodus at, at the end of the War Games. It's certainly a very big landmark for the show because we have the three principal actors all leaving the show. You know, certainly by the time of the next year with John Pertwee, we're pretty much starting from scratch. We're you know, to all intents and purposes, starting a new series almost. Absolutely, because when the show returns, it will be in colour, it will have a new lead actor, it will have new principles behind the scenes as well. Although that said, at this point, Terence Dix, who's, again, whose shadow is long over Doctor Who, is installed a script editor. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the pieces are, are pretty much in, are, are in place, but you're right, this is very much the death of the old and the birth of the new. <laughs> The end of the war game sees the Doctor spinning away into the darkness, and then the, and then Spearhead from Space opens the next season with a Doctor falling out of the front of the TARDIS. Now, between the end of uh, the end of the war games and the beginning of Spearhead from Space is a very interesting period that uh, fans have brought into being and that uh, spin-off media has, has mined very very successfully, called Season Six B. Now, the events that take place in such stories, such stories as the two Doctors, the three Doctors, and the five Doctors, as well as some of the Big Finish audios, um, are, are said to be part of what's called 6B. Trevor, do you want to take this up a little bit? Yes, um, 6B, very, very interesting part of Doctor History. Now, from, from my understanding, the first time season 6B was mentioned was in a fantastic book called The Discontinuity Guide which mm. was published, I believe, uh, towards the end of the last century, um, in which <laughs> all stories like The Five Doctors, Two Doctors and Three Doctors are deposited as a way to explain some of the more interesting continuity errors that existed as a result of some of these stories. Now, when the second Doctor appeared in the story The Five Doctors, he encountered mm. Jamie and Zoe as sort of ghosts in the corridors of the Dark Tower. Now, mm. 
he seemed to have some quite uh, interesting knowledge of their ultimate fate, which could only be as a result of of existing at a point after they were consigned back to uh, their original time streams. Do, do you know? I, I just want to jump in there just to make sure this is, this is absolutely clear. At the end of the War Games, the Time Lords return Jamie and Zoe to their own time periods, having wiped their memory, except for the memory of the first meeting with the Doctor. So Jamie believes that he met the Doctor in the Highlanders, but then the Doctor left at the end of that story. Zoe believes that she met the Doctor in the Wheel in Space, but then they parted company at the end of the Wheel in Space. And in The Five Doctors, as Trev rightly says, um, the, doc- the Doctor meets these two ghosts uh, in the dark tower at the Tomb of Rassilon and says, hang on a minute, but the Time Lords erased your memory of our time together at the, when you were returned to your own time periods, which, as Trevor rightly says, means that the Doctor must be taking part in the story at some point after the War Games. Yeah, so that's, that's the whole reason Season 6B takes place, to try exactly and explain so. these continuity errors. And it's yep. something that uh, writers of some of the missing adventures have taken advantage of, that they've had the Doctor working as an agent for the Time Lords in return for his uh, temporary freedom. And certainly some of the novels that uh, Terence Dix wrote, such as The Players, for example, take place in this mythical 6B season. And certainly some of the classic series stories like The Two Doctors, it is theorised they take place in series 6B because Jamie has a knowledge of the Time Lords that he could only have as a result of episode 10 of The War Games. But then the two Doctors throws up another continuity error because the, um, Jamie and the Doctor clearly talk to each other about Victoria as if they have just finished travelling with her. So it could be argued, perhaps, that what's happened is the Doctor's picked up Jamie at some point in Season 6B and they've gone back to visit Victoria. Perhaps that's, perhaps that's the explanation of that, of that particular continuity error. But suffice to say, if you go out researching Season 6B, there's some really interesting stuff out there. So before we, before we leave this uh, six, Season 6B, we should maybe talk about Troughton's first chronological return to the show, which was The Three Doctors. And, and it is kind of interesting. For someone who was so incredibly private about, about their craft in terms of being an actor and being a character actor and not wanting to be typecast, Troughton spent an awful lot, of, did spend a good amount of time returning to that role of the second Doctor. Oh, that's right. Um, um, but, it's, but, I th- but I think we could agree that um, his performance in The Three Doctors was a, was a hugely celebratory thing. One thing that I always take away from these anniversary stories is, I suppose, something that was really started in The Three Doctors, that we have the Doctors basically hating each other. The <laughs> second and third Doctors in the story don't really want to have a bar of each other. You know, they call one the dandy and they call the other one the clown. They get in the same room and they really don't want to be in that same room. It's such a wonderfully fantastic dynamic that really, I suppose you know, the person you would most test would be yourself because you know all the flaws, you know all the idiosyncrasies of each other. And uh, it, it, it's something that's carried on in the three Doctors. It's done in the five Doctors and, and certainly done to a certain extent in the two Doctors as well, that each incarnation of the Doctor really doesn't get along well with the other one because they're just so different. In terms of the script, the three Doctors is interesting because you've got the, the tension between um, the second and third Doctors and the very schoolmasterly attitude of, the, of, of William Hartnell. Aside from that, it's interesting to note that uh, Patrick Troughton's technique as an actor, as we mentioned before in the, earlier on in the podcast, was to use the script as a guide and to pretty much 
improvised round it. You would get to where you were going, but via the actor's route, which was in complete contrast to John Pertwee's method, which was to set, to learn the script, absolutely learn the script, know your mark, be in place, and deliver the lines as they are written. Um, and there's an interesting story about the beginning of the rehearsals for The Three Doctors where Troughton just made his way through a couple of the lines and Pertwee sat silent. And the, the, the production team looked round to him and said, well, John, what are you doing? And he said, I'm waiting for my cue. Um, and there's a moment, and reportedly there's a moment of tension between these two lead actors. Um, one clearly thinking, you were the Doctor, I am. Um, <laughs> and, the, and the other kind of astounded that, the, that his, his successor couldn't just work with the script in the way that he did. But as I say, it, it, it was overcome quite quickly. And, and apparently away from that, the two men were great, were, were great friends. And you can see a good amount of bonhomie, particularly in the extras for the five Doctors. If anyone's got uh, the new... Uh, edition of the five doctors it's great to watch uh Troughton and pertwee playing with each other um clearly enjoying each other's company and, and very and very very relaxed and at home uh, but yeah but the, but it does highlight Troughton's more mercurial nature <laughs> and his attitude to us uh, and his attitude to, to a script okay here's a question of the th- of those three stories the two doctors the three doctors and the five doctors which do you think is the has got the best Troughton performance in it I think the five doctors, just by its very nature, just just by the way it's structured, gives more time for each of the doctors to have their own individual time. The way Terence Six wrote that story was he paired the doctors with companions or honorary companions in some cases with that doctor. We certainly see in the five doctors that each doctor's given their own special personal solitary time to really display that their characterizations i will disagree slightly i think if i had to pick one of the anniversary stories to out of out of the three of them uh not even anniversary one of troughton's returns returns to the tv i'd pick the three doctors purely because it's got william hartnell and john pertwee in it you know and sadly none of those three actors are with us anymore but he's still He's, he's he's not having to reach for the character of the Doctor in, in the Three Doctors. It's 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 very much Troughton in colour. Where I think the th- uh, the the Five Doctors and the Two Doctors is a slightly different performance because he, because we are removed in time from it. So there's nothing wrong with the, with the Five Doctors. It's a great celebration for what it is. The two Doctors has a specific set of issues around it, which we'll maybe talk about shortly. But the Three Doctors definitely the three doctors because you've got the last great before the last great performance of william hartnell as as the doctor in fact his last acting role um you've got patrick Troughton, as i say being the second doctor in color he still looks very much the same and he's still giving the performance uh, and then you've got john pertwee the man who is at the time reacting really well with his with, with his other persona and he's as you rightly say um he's a clown <laughs> they, mm. the, the, the characters don't like each other at all um but that electricity is great to watch too Not an anniversary story, but certainly a uh, multi-doctor story, The Two Doctors, which had the uh, Patrick Troughton Doctor with The Sixth Doctor, which, um, hmm, interesting anyway. The Two Doctors, I can take or leave it. The only the, the thing which makes it for me is the fact that Patrick Troughton is in it. Um, and again, he just shows what a great actor he is. Colin Baker puts up a, puts up a great performance. Um, Fraser Hines is very good. Nicola Bryant is very good. It's it's kind of average, and this is a Robert Holmes story as well. So on paper, it should be electric, but as it is, it's just okay. The Two Doctors is a very difficult story to get into, merely because I think it suffers from what some of these stories do—that they have the Doctor doing something 
or spending a lot of the story doing something that we're not used to them doing. The second Doctor being infected by this alien race's uh, DNA, this Andrigum inheritance. One of the traits of an Andrigum is they enjoy food, they adore food, they're, they're very, very gourmet orientated. So we spend a lot of the latter story with the second Doctor and then by default, due to, I suppose, permeation through time, the sixth Doctor becoming these weird restaurant-loving gourmets and you're just looking at these characterizations and going, I'm trying to enjoy the second Doctor, but I'm not seeing the second Doctor on screen. I suppose at its base level, all these multi-Doctor stories should really be a celebration of what a fan has enjoyed about that older Doctor, but the two Doctors delivers so little of what we remember as the second Doctor. It, it's really disappointing. I think what, what, we've got here, what we've got going on, though, is that you expect more than is actually delivered. You know, you've got an actor of the calibre of Patrick Troughton doing not very much more than wearing some wearing some makeup and eating. It's a good story, but the potential, I think, ultimately is missed. Um, you, you've got these great characters with all the history that's available to you, not really doing a huge amount at all. You know, it, it's it, it, it's unsatisfying for me because, as I say, of, of, of the things that don't happen as opposed to the things that do, which is probably a bit of a harsh criticism given it's his last appearance. But, again, knowing what he was capable of, I'm not sure that we see a huge amount of it, as, as you're saying, in The Two Doctors. Certainly after uh, Patrick Troughton finished his regular role as the Doctor in the late 60s, um, he, he certainly went on and uh, I think to a certain extent did throw off the uh, typecasting fear that he had he, uh, he appeared in such quite prestigious shows as Space 1999, All Creatures Great and Small, Inspector Morse, and uh, I suppose most famously for a lot of Doctor Who fans, he appeared in The Goodies as well after his time <laughs> in Doctor Who. Um, he, he, he was in Doomwatch and, and The Persuaders. So he certainly had a very rich and uh, busy career. He took part in a lot more conventions and fan events towards the end of his life. He died in costume, basically. He, he was at a, a convention in uh, Georgia, USA, which he, he was quite excited to be part of. One morning he was found passed away in his hotel room as a result of a heart attack. Very, very sad. And again, this is only an opinion, not necessarily fact. Uh, but uh, for my money, there have been some stellar actors to play Doctor Who. But of them all, my 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 favourite is easily Patrick Troughton. I'm not saying that the others are bad actors; they're not bad actors; they're great actors. But the greatest of that of the of to my mind, the greatest of that roll call is still Patrick Troughton. As I say, the first new Doctor, um, the show the sh- the show stood by his performance. If he'd failed to do it, we'd have no show now. Um, and it wasn't accidental, but you know his returns to the role in the two Doctors, three Doctors, five Doctors demonstrated that he could still do it, very much a functional actor. And then when the opportunity came to take part in the conventions, again, something which really blossomed in the 70s, uh, blossomed in the 80s and 90s, Troughton was right there. He was, he was really knocking the thing along, taking part, being, being, being the life and soul of it all. Uh, in fact, De- Debbie Watling tells the story of how he persuaded her to get to, quote, get on the Who circuit. Um, so again, he, he's important for the establishment and continuation of the show in so many ways and on so many levels. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a shame that uh, it's a shame that he's no longer with us. But we can look to uh, the appearances of his children in the show and the, and his children's involvement with acting as the true uh, as part of his uh, part of his legacy. Um, and I've got to be honest. Whenever I do see um, references to William Hartnell and particularly Patrick Troughton in the new series, so that wonderful scene at the end 
of the 11th hour uh, and in uh, David Tennant's last Christmas special as well, uh, penultimate Christmas special as well. My heart just skips a beat a little bit, a beat a little bit, because it's just so good to see him referenced in the new series. Apart from the fact that the performance of Matt, of Matt Smith owes a huge, in the first se- his first season, owes a huge debt to what Troughton was doing. But yeah, it, 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 for me, as I say, as, as I keep saying, Troughton, number two for me is number one. Before we finish our look at the uh, legend that is Patrick Troughton, I'd just like to share with you just a, a few thoughts I recorded recently. Um, I read a few of the uh, books that have been inspired by the uh, Second Doctor era that were written during the 90s when there was no Doctor Who on our screen, when the, when the only really way you could enjoy Doctor Who was by reading them in the uh, uh, book format. Now, there was the uh, BBC books, there was the Virgin books, uh, basically, which which chronicled the adventures of not only the second Doctor but all the Doctors that were uh, going at the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the way from the first through the seventh at the time. Two of the books I'd like to talk about today are two very interesting examples of Patrick Trout and the Second Doctor as the Doctor. So uh, I'll just cross to that now. Now the criteria I was using when I was trying to find some books uh, to do with the Second Doctor with these. Um, I was looking for the books that showed the era of Patrick Troughton off to the best extent, but I was also looking for stories that challenged my perception of the second Doctor in his era. Not reinvented it, but just gave me different ways of looking at the Doctor's characterisation and the companions with him and thrusting them into events that would have been too expensive or too broad for the small screen. Um, That was one of the great things when the Virgin New Adventure started with the Seventh Doctor, that for a while there on the back of the book it said, uh, Virgin New Adventures, stories too broad and too vast for the small screen. Books were a great way to bring these wonderful ideas to Doctor Who fans. Now, the first one I chose might be a bit of an interesting one. It's called The Roundheads, written by Mark Gatiss, who, of course, has written a few stories for New Doctor Who. It's a strange one because, as we all know by now, in our retrospective, the Trout era really isn't big on historical stories, and The Roundheads is an historical story. Now, what drew me to this one was I'm, I'm a very much a fan of English history, and more specifically to do with monarchs. And this period of history that the Roundheads covers is is a fascinating period of English history. It's around late 1649, early 1650. And if anyone knows their British history, they'll know that uh, it was the time of Charles I's execution and the abolition, temporarily for about 10 years as it worked out, of the monarchy. It, it was a very tumultuous time for Britain and People were taking sides. Brothers and fathers and all members of a family might be totally on different sides of the battle. The parliament We had the parliamentarians led by Oliver Cromwell who was trying to uh, bring down the English monarchy, bring about a better Britain in his eyes. And then we had the other side of the fence, which people who were quite happy with the monarchy and wanted to help Charles I. Now, it's into this melting pot of events that the TARDIS crew of the Doctor, Jamie, Ben and Polly arrive. Now, the story takes place after the Macra Terror and before Ben and Polly's last story, The Faceless Ones, and it's a really, really fantastic story. Um, not only is it a rollicking adventure, because as is with most Doctor Who stories, we have the TARDIS crew split up and end up on different sides. Now, in this case, we have... Um, Polly wanting to help Charles I and his supporters get away so the monarchy could remain. And then we have the other side of the battle where the Doctor is very, very keen on meeting Oliver Cromwell. 
but in the end spends most of the story uh, locked up in the Tower of London. Some really, really interesting elements in this story. One, one that most struck a chord for me was what happens with Polly. Now, we have classic series stories from the 60s like the Aztecs where Barbara Wright wanted to change history. She wanted to change the Aztecs' bloodthirsty ways and bring about a better society because she thought that she could change history for the better. Now, in the end, that didn't work, and the Aztecs just kept going the way they did. History remained unchanged. Polly's in a very similar situation in this story. She, she basically falls in love with a royalist, Christopher White, who is instrumental in helping Charles I escape. Now, uh, that's not the way history went, so then the Doctor basically has to work against Polly and her newfound friends to recapture Charles I so he can be executed and history can continue on its rightful course. It's, it's a really, really fascinating point in the story where Polly feels quite betrayed by the Doctor. She understands why he had to do it, of course, but that really doesn't negate the feeling she had for Christopher White. It's a really, really fascinating part of the story. Now, Ben spends most of his time on a ship travelling between England and the Netherlands, and on his return from the Netherlands on a ship, he's coming back with a gentleman who's been hired uh, to kill Oliver Cromwell by Prince Rupert, and uh, that's, that's a really fascinating part of the story. One thing that really drew me to this, like I said, the Second Doctor really doesn't do historicals. There, there is only one or two examples of what you even remotely call an historical story. And it was really good to see the Second Doctor and his crew in the 17th century locale. The, the story is really rich. You get a real feeling for the age. I mean, for someone like me who's actually read a little bit about that particular period in history, it, it seems quite authentic. A lot of the names in the story are real people and um, they are moulded around real events. It's, it's really, really fascinating. Now, the other book I read was a, a book by David McKinty, who's uh, written quite a few of these novelizations for BBC Books and Virgin. It's called The Dark Path. Now, what's fascinating about this story, even though it's a second Doctor story, and this one features Jamie and Victoria as his travelling companions, it's an interesting story that the Doctor really isn't the main focus of the story. It has a character called Cochet, and I really hope I'm pronouncing that right because I've only ever seen it written down. But, um, you know, for most people that know or know a little bit of a, hi a history of Doctor Who, Cochet has been built up in the novels as the man who will eventually become the master. Now, it's in the dark path that we see Cochet take the dark path to becoming the master. Um, they arrive on this planet where both Cochet's and the Doctor's TARDISes have been drawn to by a weird time event. Um, Cochet has got a ulterior motive. He's trying to check out something called the Dark Heart, which he believes has some interesting time properties that he can use to his advantage. And, of course, all unfortunately, though, the events of the story will go a bit pear-shaped, and there is, I suppose, what you'll call a climactic battle between the Master and the Doctor towards the end of the book, which sets us down the road that we're all very, very familiar with, with the uh, classic series and, of course, the new series, the arch-nemesis of the Doctor, known as the Master. It's an interesting story. It, it probably gets a little bit bogged down in detail at some point. Um, there, there are pages upon pages of explanatory dialogue for characters that are then very suddenly on the next page killed or blown up. David McKinty really tries to build up a wonderful, rich universe here. Uh, he, he talks about the different stages of Earth's development and the universe's development between the Republic and the Empire and all those sort of things, which have been expanded upon in, in other novels by, by his colleague. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of info dump in this. What you really want to read in this book is 
the interaction between Cochet and the Doctor. Now, that really only comes in probably about two-thirds of the way through the book where they both discover the Dark Heart and realise that they need to stop this device because it's also being used by the colonists on that planet for their own nefarious ends. As for the characterizations, uh, they, they all seem to be pretty much on par with what uh, with what we take for granted for our Doctor and our companions. Um, Jamie and Victoria are quite good. Victoria comes across as a very... Uh, inexperienced young girl who really hasn't had much of a um, taste of time travel or space travel before. There's there's a wonderful scene where they're escaping this rather vicious, bloodthirsty monster and they basically have to uh, uh, slide down the side of this very steep building and uh, Victoria has some misgivings about that, but Jamie just basically jumps off the edge of the ledge and says, come on, Victoria, you're being a wuss. So there's there's some wonderful character moments there, but like I said, it probably gets a little bit bogged down. Um, but if you really persevere with it and stick with it, it, it has a wonderfully satisfying conclusion that I think resonates throughout all of televised Doctor Who. While not canon, but it's it certainly provides a wonderful, I suppose, personal rich tapestry for anyone that wants to uh, delve into these sort of things in the books, because the books were a wonderful area for fans and for experienced writers like Terence Dix, for example, to expand upon the Doctor universe and, and to really try and explain or even forgive some of the uh, things that happened during televised Doctor Who. There are a few Patrick Troughton books out there. There's not a lot. I don't think a lot of the writers really enjoyed writing for uh, Troughton. I think they uh, were more interested in writing what was then current novels for the seventh Doctor or maybe even exploring the fourth or fifth a little bit more. But what there is out there, there's some really, really good books out there. And and if you can track them down, please do, because they're well worth a read. That's brilliant. Um, That leads me very neatly into something that I've got quite dear to my heart at the moment, which is Big Finish. Now... It could be argued that there's no reason for the the story of Doctor Who to ever end. And it's amazing to me that the story of the second Doctor now shows no no sign of ever ending either. Now, we've mentioned a couple of times through this retrospective that audio has the best pictures. You know, the images on radio are fantastic because they take place in your own head, clearly. Um, I'm a big fan of Big Finish as a range in general. But within Big Finish, within the, within the Doctor Who, uh, underneath the Doctor Who umbrella, there's a set of adventures called The Companion Chronicles, which are, which are such a brilliant idea that if they didn't exist, you'd have to invent it. Um, the idea, and I believe this, this is attributed to Nick Briggs, is that the companions of the Doctor tell a story in their own right and from their own perspective. Uh, and, in so in, and so inside that, we've got the companions, the, the living actors who performed with William Hartnell and uh, Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee reading, to all intents and purposes, new stories. Um, I've got to give special, special kudos to Fraser Hines, who... In total fairness to him, after Doctor Who finished, continued a, continued a, 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 an illustrious career as an actor. Um, particularly if you're thinking of maybe having a bit of a dip into these stories, um, there's an older adventure called Helican Prime, um, which is a, a great story. Which is uh, Jamie telling the story of an un, an unscreened adventure uh, during his, that took place during his time with the Doctor. There's also a recently released uh, companion chronicle called The Glorious Revolution, which you may enjoy. Um, but I've got, to, I've, I've got to be totally honest with you. They're, the most amazing thing about this is not just the fact that Heinz is still a functional, it's a, a, a functional and 
stellar actor. Um, but the quality of the vocal impression that he does of uh, of his co-star Patrick Troughton is just phenomenal. Um, it, it confirms two things, actually. Number one, that Hines is a great actor. But number two, that the relationship that he had with Patrick Troughton was incredibly close and very strong. Because when you listen to the way that Hines reads the lines, the way that he does the impression, it is very much Patrick Troughton. And I was going to say, all you have to do is close your eyes and, and drift away. But to be honest with you, the images are all in your head. And Hines really helps that along. Wendy Padbury as Zoe has also recorded a number of audio adventures. Um, Shades of Grey, I think, is, is the latest one of those. Just quite quite an interesting listen. Um, as has Deborah Watling and uh, Annika Wills. Um, so if you get a chance and if you have... Um, uh, a little bit of time spare and a little, a little bit of cash spare, do drop in to the Companion Chronicles from Big Finish. That's probably a shameless plug, but if we're here to celebrate Doctor Who and the Second Doctor, if you want, if you want to hear new stories from that, from, from that particular era told by actors who actually worked with Patrick Troughton, the Companion Chronicles is the place to go. Well, send in your thoughts about the uh, Trout and Doctor to feedback at thedoctorpodcast.com. We always love reading your feedback and we'd love to get a feedback episode going um, about your thoughts about the Second Doctor. So please send it in, audio preferred yeah. as always. But um, yeah, we've talked for three episodes about it. So the least you can do is uh, spend five minutes talking about it in audio and send it to us. So get that audio in now. Wow. Okay, that's it. We have climbed the mountain and now, and now we can survey the view from the hill. Wow. Wow. I've really enjoyed that, but uh, all good things must come to an end. I'm going to go and have a lie down. What can I say? Thank you, Trev, <laughs> for the invitation to talk about this. Thank and you for thank listening. you, Tom. Wow. But I think that's it. I've got to go and have a lie down and a cup of tea, frankly. Not in that order. All right. See you all, guys, next week, eh? Yeah, definitely. Take care, man. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.